Everybody, Tyler Smith here. Uh, this is Minnesota number thirteen, and I was about to say, "Hey, w- w- welcome back from the hiatus." But when this goes up, there will already be an episode uh, available to you. So, um, but we are recording this before that episode, uh, so we might be a little rusty. We apologize, everybody. Uh, but first things first, I'm going to bring in my co-host Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I uh, I was going to say I refuse to uh, to apologize because you said we apologize for Rusty. I'm I'm not apologizing. Well, you where do you have to go but up? You know, like That's what true. what does Rusty Josh look like? Yeah. If you guys Very feel like this to... is Rusty, this must be your first episode. Yeah, just so, go back. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, so as we've uh, been doing with the minisodes, we've been going through our. 10 favorite films of all time, mine and then Josh's, and we alternate every other week. Uh, But I wanted to mention this before we jump into my number eight, um, which is uh, Reed Lackey, who was on a couple episodes uh, several months ago and has been writing on the blog from time to time. He, uh, I don't recall if I asked him to do this or he volunteered, um, but he submitted his 10 favorite movies of all time, each with a uh, paragraph about why he likes them. And so I have been posting those on the More Than One Lesson website, and you can go and read all about them. And uh, it's, I think by the time this goes up, I think they will all be available. There, I'm posting them every two days. So, um, so by the time this goes up, I think you'll be able to read all of them. But uh, it's very interesting, the, th- the movies that he loves and... Uh, and the reasons why. So, and he's a good writer, and, and I think is very uh, uh, eloquent about why he loves these movies and, and all that sort of thing. So, uh, I really do encourage you to go and look at that. If you're tired of hearing about my top ten or Josh's top ten, here's another one, another top ten you can look into. So, and we know people love lists. <laughs> I do. They just love lists. But uh, we should start making lists of things that no one makes lists of. Of course, that's what everyone's trying to do, isn't it? I guess so. That's why I see online like. List of the top ten movie villains who were not born in the country that they are attacking, or something like that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, not born in the country. Okay, so I guess Hans top, Gruber. Top ten rock musicians with glass eyes. Uh, Paul McCartney. <laughs> um, Fun fact, both of Paul McCartney's eyes are made of glass. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was kind of like Ray Charles, but you know what? He... He didn't want to. Call, he was kind of vain. He didn't want to call attention to. He was it. a very vain man. So that Carly, that's why he's always that Carly Simon song is about him. It's about fact. him. That's yeah. another more trivia for you. Yeah. Look at this. We're full of trivia today. Oh boy, I, I'm. I'm sure you guys missed this dynamic. But anyway, moving on. So we're gonna jump into my eighth favorite movie of all time. Uh, I saw it a few years ago, and <clears throat> I don't know why I get all coy about it. Like I'm leading up to it. 
if you clicked on it in any way, whether it be in iTunes or on the website, you know that it's F.W. Oh, Murnau's The Last Laugh. Oh, you gave it away. Sorry. But, um, but yeah, uh, it's a movie that I saw only probably three, four years ago, and... I think that is the only time I've seen it. I had seen clips of it in school before that in my uh, German Expressionism class, and I was familiar with uh, F.W. Murnau. And boy, oh boy, the the story. It was made in 1924. It is a, a silent film, and it is uh, it was made in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, when we first saw a clip of the film in class i think actually the first clip i saw of it was in my history of film class and the instructor chose a a sort of a dream fantasy sequence from the film as an example of what the camera was able to do before sound came along and put (laughs) cinematography back like 10 years easily um and don't get me wrong sound is is awesome you know but uh you go back and look at i think people even people who love movies i think there is an assumption that movies were just inherently more primitive in the silent era and that sort of thing. And so mm. when you go back and you watch this and probably a handful of others, maybe more than a handful, but like, for example, even a movie like Metropolis, which is beautiful and, and wonderful, um, even that, like, you can tell it's on a soundstage and, and all that. There's not... I don't recall there being a lot of fluidity to the camera. Mm-hmm. Whereas The Last Laugh, I mean, it's it's amazing what they're able what they're able to do with it. Um, you've so, seen the film, Yes, correct? I have. I, and I'm a big fan of it, too. That, that's something that I think... That's one of the talents that Murnau had as a silent director. You see that in some of his other work in mm-hmm. uh, uh, Sunrise. There's some stuff like that. In uh, I really enjoy his Faust. There's some, some cool stuff. Um, he, I guess that was one thing that was important to him was the camera being able to, to kind of move and be yeah fluid in a, in a different way. And so I think there's a, I think it's the last lab that starts with, uh, scene of the street and the camera's going over top of the street. Am I remembering that correctly or am I thinking of a different film? Uh, I think that's right. I, I, unfortunately I didn't have a chance to watch, rewatch the movie before recording this. So I remember very, some very I remember most of it very specifically, but uh, there are some things I don't uh, recall, unfortunately, yeah. which and is weird for my eighth favorite movie. <laughs> but I, I think I think that's correct. I think it's moving into the hotel. Yes, and people the cars oh, are driving you're in correct. and stopping yes. there, and it, it, the camera's moving over top of the cars. And so, like to compare that with say some of the films of the early '30s and how everything seems to play out like a play, all stuck yeah. in the same place, is uh, it's kind of amazing to see. If you really want to see the. Uh, see a very clear depiction well very clear i guess example of the way that like tyler was talking about sound set film back in a lot of ways you can watch the very first best picture winner which is wings Wings. unless you some people say sunrise should be considered because it was the got some weird like best artistic film or something like that yeah um which is a category that doesn't exist now but Say it, you can t- you can take either one of those. If you go from either one of those to the next film to win Best Picture, which is the Broadway Melody, um, <laughs> the uh, you can really see the technological mm-hmm. d- uh, devolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Um, yeah, and so it's 
And what's what's interesting is is people, you know, other people when they think of Murnau, if they think of him at all, they tend to think of Nosferatu. Um, perhaps you've seen the 2000 film Shadow of Shadow of the Vampire with um, John Malkovich and Willem Dafoe, which is a, a movie that I enjoy quite a bit. But um, I like Nosferatu, but I don't think I ever loved it. There are aspects that I loved about it, mm-hmm. but. Um, Oddly enough, I actually like the remake more, the Werner Herzog, uh, Klaus Kinsey uh, collaboration that was made in 79, I think. Um, but yeah, and so people associate it with that film, and the film is in many ways iconic, but f- from a purely filmmaking standpoint, I think Sunrise, Faust, and certainly The Last Laugh are by far better films. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a storytelling point of view, I'm not a huge fan of Faust, um, mm-hmm. purely because I think it's... Early on, it's actually quite. Fort- you mean the the film or the or the story of Faust in general? Oh, the film. Oh, okay. Um, there, are, visually, it's it's a, a marvel, of course. But uh, storytelling wise, uh, it starts with a lot of foreboding and genuine like creepiness, and then it takes on a weird, m- not merely mischievous. I'm okay with that, but kind of a silly quality. There is a little bit of a silliness. I remember a part where uh, Emilian as Mephistopheles is like he's either hiding from someone, he's or he's chasing someone, and kind mm-hmm. of like a little silly sequence and so that is one that doesn't have any as much depth certainly not as much depth of story as the last laugh or uh, or sunrise but i enjoy it i think mainly for the for the visuals and yeah. um kind of what it was able to do technologically for the time um and i will say this uh if you are interested in a, in a more in-depth discussion of fw now you can go back to battleship pretension and search for it i guess i don't have the episode number in front of me but we did a profile on him uh i think a year and a half ago uh probably right around there and so um i think we went into a fair amount of detail so if you want to hear us talk about faust or nosferatu or sunrise or any of these other movies um feel free to to do that because he is a filmmaker very much worth remembering but uh so i did want to talk about the last laugh uh a little bit not not too much it's not necessarily a, a plot heavy film um you know, we'd just sit here talking about the visuals, which somehow do- I feel like that wouldn't do them justice um, to <laughs> be talking about them in only a few minutes. But so the story is about this man who is the doorman at a uh, very swanky hotel. And he think like a best Western or a Motel 6, something of that ilk. So Josh grew up in a small town, all right, and the even the idea of a room you have to pay for, and people will come and clean it up. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Anyway, I'm joking. Of course, North Carolina is not a small town. It just has that general mentality. But nothing like Southern Missouri. No. I'm they, not uh, from there. I'm where, from, where from Taft, again? California. Oh, there you go. A place that is tiny. Now that I've gone back, uh, but um, anyway, so. Uh, also, Southern Missouri, we've got Branson. Thank you very much. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Branson. <laughs> Most people do. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it's this very swanky hotel. And this doorman, uh, like I said, he is aging, but he is also very sociable. The The customers come in and they know him and he's very friendly to people. The employees know him. He is, in many ways... Um, and, I th- and he sees himself as the the face of the of the hotel. I mean, people. He is the first person they see uh, that, that uh, guests see when they come to the to stay at the hotel. And so um, he takes a great deal of pride in his job. And indeed, <coughs> you know, you wouldn't think this instinctively when talking about a doorman, but uh, 
he is well respected in the community mm. and his wife takes a great deal of pride in him yeah and things are just going pretty well he's very he's very happy about where he is in life and mm. i would say he sort of defines himself by his job yeah and i, I think there's an element that he uh he seems important or, or has an air of importance in his community, at least because he's from a very low class community. He lives in like a, like a tenement basically. Right. And because he works at a very high class establishment, it's he, he's associated with that. And people yeah. see him as high class kind of because of that, we, even though he's almost at the bottom of the food chain there. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it is fascinating that uh, it's like, well, he gets to sort of, he gets to rub elbows with richer people, so that makes him kind of kind of the king of this place. And so, um, so the 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 plot kicks in when he is informed that he's gotten a little too old, and that they he gets he doesn't get fired, he doesn't get laid off, and he gets what he and many others would consider a demotion. And now he is the bathroom attendant. <laughs> And that, to him, is the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you're there where people are doing a horrible, awful thing. And, <laughs> like washing their hands, blowing right, their yes. nose. Absolutely. All those terrible things. Drying their hands. Drying them. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, so it's... So, you see this guy, and as I said, he, he identifies himself through work, through his work. And so now... Who you know? It's it, interestingly enough the the character is never given a name. None of the characters are, mm-hmm. but his character is the hotel doorman. Yeah. Um. And it's interesting that that is how he is literally identified in the film. So he's the hotel doorman. But what if he's not the hotel doorman? Then literally, who is he? Nobody. He's nameless. And so uh, it's basically just him dealing with that and dealing in doing so dealing with the um, the fact that he is aging. And looking back on his life and realizing, oh, it's, this is, I was, my whole life was built on this for so many years. And now that I'm this other thing, I realize I've kind of wasted my life a little bit. And so it's, it's a very sad film. Um, and maybe one of my favorite things about it is the performance by, uh, Emil Yawnings, who, as we mentioned, was in Faust. And I think I've only seen him in one other thing, which is the Blue Angel, which I loved him in <coughs> with uh, Marlene Dietrich. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if those are the two that I've seen. I know I've seen both of those. I I can't call to mind another one that he was in. There's probably another one that I'm not that I'm not thinking. I mean, he was in several, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I I might have seen him in one more thing that I'm not thinking of. But uh, I think he's an amazing actor. I think he's you know marvelous. Uh, he just has a, a nice look to him he's a bigger guy he's very boisterous um he was made to be a silent actor but blue angel is not a silent film although there's a lot of scenes where his character doesn't talk and it's all facial expression um and just he's able to because within the film there are moments that are supposed to be very funny uh sorry i'm going back to uh last laugh now Mm. um he, there are moments where he's supposed to be kind of funny and you laugh at the things that he's doing, but within a, you know, within two more scenes, he's supposed to be very tragic. And there are times when he's supposed to be genuinely pathetic and, and 
times when you kind of look down on him, like not because he's lost his position, but because he made these choices and now this is what he is. He's reaping because he is kind of, he does sort of, uh, have a bit of a swagger to him around that tenement yeah, building, for example. Does. And so there's a, a sense of not necessarily comeuppance, but a feeling of like, oh, yeah, not so big now, are you? You know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so the actor has to embrace all of that and and make it into one character that works, and I think he does. And so, uh, yeah. and something ahead. something that's in a lot of a lot of silent films, um, because the acting style is different than some of them. And a common criticism is that a lot of them are overly expressive or or cartoonish almost in their faces. And there are some films where I can say that's probably a valid criticism, but. I feel like even though he has a very, uh, very distinctive look and very mm-hmm. kind of broad features, maybe, um, I, d- I don't feel like he overplays it ever. I don't either. Even when he's doing big things, yeah. like there's a there's a scene where he is uh, very drunk, and he's he. It's fascinating to me. He is doing. He's gesturing big. He's doing silly things that. In, even in sound movies, you'd look at that and be like, oh, come on, seriously? And yet, somehow, I think because he's playing the comedy while also playing the tragedy underneath, yeah. I think that kind of, I think that sort of undercuts the the broad, silly quality of, of that performance. He's not only playing that aspect of it. And so, I think that subverts any criticism we might have of it. But he's doing big things while without ever seeming like he is overacting. And I think maybe that's, because you see, I mean, you see over actors now, and I think it's when when you get that sense of like, oh, they're overplaying it. It's that they're punching something hard in order to get a reaction, right? And and I think people are, I think people are more attuned to that than than Hollywood thinks, and they're like, oh, you're just you're doing this because I'm because I'm here. That's why, as opposed to playing that and having it come from an organic place. And so you could be doing the same thing, but with different motives. And I think the audience picks up on it and it's just like, Oh, well, this seems like something the character would naturally do as opposed to this is something he's doing. Cause I'm watching. And so I think it, I think it's that, I think he finds all of the emotions, whether they be tragic or, or funny within the character, uh, organically. Mm-hmm. So, um, so along with, so that, and then, and then the visuals that I mentioned, um, you know, I won't go into a great deal of detail about them, but uh, I mentioned the sequence where he is drunk, and then that gives way to a fantasy sequence where he is—he he doesn't look that different, but he—he he is filled with vigor and youthful strength, and mm-hmm. and it's—it's it's a very funny sequence um, when you see like, because for example, he—he he is older and he can't like lift uh, luggage like he like he used to and so in the fantasy sequence like he lifts he lifts like a giant trunk with one arm and it's clear that it's like on a (laughs) string like that's what that's kind of the charm of it um but he does it and it's just like he's stronger than any man could ever be and part part me part of me thinks that like that's that is because that is kind of how people fantasize it's like there, not many people have really low ambition fantasies where mm-hmm. it's just like it's like oh I wish I was just mildly stronger like that <laughs> like oh I, it's it's never oh I wish I could just like like something like weight loss it's never like oh I wish I could just lose you know five pounds mm-hmm. I think some people might think that but I think in the back of our minds it's just like 
I think I could probably lose like 50 pounds <laughs> and just get ripped. Like, <laughs> that, like that's what's always in the back of your mind. And so, um, so the fact that the, the film uh, kind of aims for the clouds and the fact that the character is drunk helps too. <laughs> but uh, so uh, I will say the film has a twist ending. I won't say what it is. Uh, partially because you will not see it coming. Yeah, you cannot a, see it coming. It is a it is an odd ending, and it's an ending that, without going into detail, and I I won't I'll try not to even go into detail about the general tone of it. But um, I'm reminded of something that uh, that David and I talked about uh, years ago on Battleship Pretension when we were talking about Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. A lot of people had a problem with and i and that that one i will spoil sorry uh a lot of people have a problem with uh, the fact that the the bastards kill hitler mm-hmm. and well that's and people are like that's not how hitler died <laughs> and uh and there's an aspect of wish fulfillment and it's but it's it's more than that i think i think tarantino while i may abhor any interview he gives um <laughs> I think he is a smart and sensitive enough filmmaker and one who's so fascinated with the idea of fiction and what movies are that, uh, that in a way, um, I think David said, you know, it's in like movies killed, like we say movies kill Hitler. That's what we say. And the, and the idea that's just like, oh, well that, you know, Hitler in reality, he killed himself. So there was no real justice there, but, uh, this is a movie. This is my movie. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm going to do things. Mm-hmm. And in my movie, this is how Hitler dies because this is what we all wanted. And this is what he deserved. And so there's an aspect of that to the last laugh where there's a natural ending mm-hmm. and then there's the movie's ending mm-hmm. and the movie's ending. When I first saw it, I thought it was kind of cynical but as time has gone on, I actually view it as kind of this joyful thing. This thing of like, you know what? I'm making a movie here. And in movies, we do what we want. And we do what... And, and movies can... Who says movies have to be this cold, hard reali- reality thing? Mm-hmm. Like, movies can be whatever we want them to be. Art can be whatever we want it to be. And perhaps, by art being this thing, perhaps we, in reality, can aspire to that a little bit more. Yeah. And... Uh, so I find it's interesting when when I first saw the film, I thought the ending was very cynical, and now I view it as surprisingly hopeful and, and joyful. But that's that's me. What do you what do you think? Without going into a lot of detail about it, I mean, I, I feel like every time it happens, I'm like, that's right. This is what happens at the end of this movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't know because I, I also feel like it can be. There's some debate. And I, I don't want to get too much into it. Or we're going right. to give it away. But there's some debate on on i guess the reality of that ending mm-hmm. um and i don't know i feel like depending on how you take that ending sequence it could very it could give you vastly varying opinions on the filmmaker's perspective and yeah and uh yeah what the film's what the, what note the film ends on and i do think that uh, some of my uh recent interpretation of the film had to do with seeing like sunrise mm-hmm. for example i saw that after i saw the last laugh and you know having only seen faust and nosferatu before seeing that film um <coughs> before seeing uh last laugh i think i had uh a very specific view of who murnell was and the type of types of movies that he wanted to make but then after watching Sunrise, it's just like, oh, he's much more 
he has more of a heart than I thought. I mm-hmm. think he has a, I think he has a very clear-eyed view of humanity and what mm-hmm. humanity is. But I think he also has an opinion of what humanity could be, mm-hmm. and he uh, he wanted to, uh, I think, emphasize that with uh, with Last Laugh and Sunrise. Yeah. And so, but that's that's me. It certainly that ending can be debated. Yeah. So, uh, I highly recommend everybody seek out the Last Laugh. I believe it is available on Netflix Watch Instant. So hey. there's no look. There's no excuse. That's what I say. <laughs> But anyway, so um, okay, well, we've been going uh, long enough on this. I think we're gonna we're gonna cut it short right now and just say that uh, next, not next week. I'm sorry. In two weeks, Josh's eighth favorite movie of all time will be posted, and you can hear more about it then. So uh, until then, we will talk to you later, Josh. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Mm-hmm.